The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. Johnny Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money. Managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you to create better financial habits. Envision your long-term goals and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of Johnny, Sestina, and Company are on deck to show you the way. Greetings, hello, and welcome. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. I'm your host in studio tonight, Tony Payne. With me are Jared Locke, Tad Harrington. Tad, fellow certified financial planner, how are you tonight? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm energized. I'm excited. It's a good day. How are you, Jared? I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear you're doing good, too. All right. Well, we're all fired up. We're excited here. This, we're thinking we're two years on from an exciting scandal. We've got current scandals going on, and we've got some planning to talk about, too. So there's a couple fun things we want to hammer home tonight. Before we get into all that, though, I mentioned scandal, and it's a fun word. It's been two years now since that college admission scandal. I had to take a double take on that one. Yeah, two years. Two years. Yeah. I mean, one year kind of flew by in the middle there, but two years since the, we realized that rich people were paying to get their money into schools. <laughs> I, I guess that very was novel summary, but uh, here we are. And the ideas we want to talk about today are some of the reasonable ways that we think we might get into school following the FAFSA deadline, maybe doing a little negotiation on your end. You know, it's not called negotiation, but that's what it amounts to. Uh, so as we get into that here, Tad, when you think about the FAFSA form, what do you think about it? First, what is it? Well, it's a form that you can complete to see if you're eligible for any financial aid for college. And it takes into account things like your income, your family's income, and their financial situation as a needs-based approach to figuring out how much money you'll get from is it the government? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the government. Is. Yep. The, the, so the opposite of just delivering a bag of money to a consultant to get you in the school with fake foot. A little bit different, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm just making sure. I mean, for the reasonable people out there, this is the way to go. You know, and some states, and this was interesting, it looked like Alabama just did this. They're requiring that you fill out the FAFSA form as part of graduation. It struck me by surprise. I did, didn't know that that was a thing, but I think it's a wonderful thing just to make sure that people are actually seeing what they can get because I'm sure people become surprised. Yeah, it's, it is. It's one of those things that probably wouldn't have expected Alabama, but here we are requiring something before the students can graduate. But that requirement is fill out the form so if you wanted to go to college, you know what aid would be out there. Mm -hmm. and that's a pretty important thing. And when you think about who pays for it and the skyrocketing cost of college, to know what your options are is pretty important. And that ties into a conversation we've had a lot, which is just preparing for college more than what most people probably do. So this is just another aspect of that. While you're evaluating the different schools, maybe the different programs that they have, which ultimately leads to what your major is going to be, we, we always encourage people to think about, okay, what does that major provide as far as economic benefit to you, what kind of jobs, what kind of career path? And tie all that in and do things efficiently, right? If you can do things in three years or not take the fifth year, you're going to save money. But this is just another step in that process to try and prepare for college. Right. And in this case, the governor of Alabama, Kay Ivey, the governor there, she did this in an effort 
their goal is by 2025, four years from now, they'd like to have a half a million highly skilled workers added to Alabama's workforce. Well, you can't just wish it. <laughs> You've got to do a couple things to try to make it happen. This is a different strategy than some of the others we've heard out there proposed. You know, is it student loan forgiveness? Is it college aid? What's well, a different variety? This is just simply requiring the mechanics to say, you're going to apply for aid if you graduate. And then once you know what you can get, go from there. Seemed to be kind of logical there. Jared, any thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I mean, my first thought on it was that uh, maybe this is pushing too many kids possibly to go into college where college might not be for them because it sure isn't for everyone. Uh, I did a little bit more digging, though, and uh, you can fill out the FAFSA and get uh, government support for trade and vocational schools as well, uh, which I thought was great because that's just getting people into still those skilled positions that don't always require a college degree, but we definitely need those jobs. See, that's a great takeaway there. This is a thinking man. We like that kind of thing. There needs to be less of a stigma around that idea as well. I completely agree. Like Not every, going, you mean? Not going yeah, to a traditional four-year school? Yeah, take, taking a break. You know, I, don't, I hate the word find yourself, but honestly, just figure out what you want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but have a plan. Don't just take a break to take a break. Yeah. But some of the vocational schools, the trade schools, like there's nothing wrong with going that, that approach. But I think sometimes within our society – you, you get looked upon differently. You guys and your balance and trying to look at both sides. <laughs> I was all excited about this, thinking this is a great way we're going to get everybody into college, and then you bring <laughs> us back to maybe not everybody needs to go. And that's a fair point of view. Mm -hmm. So as we continue on here and think about, well, if you are someone who's applying and using this FAFSA form, Ted, you talked about it. It's a way to fill out information, basically to say, here's my situation. What do I qualify for? That's at the government level, but also the schools use that too. The schools will look at that and try to dissect that to say, well, what can we do for this student? So we talked about a little bit, there could be some negotiations. Uh, any idea what we mean by that, Tad? Or? The term negotiate. Yeah. Have to look at that <laughs> closely. Uh, but it's the same concept when we talk about negotiating your tax bill. It's not doing any, anything sly like the scandal. It's nothing scandalous. What it's doing is understanding the rules and the regulations that are in place and using those to your advantage or make sure that you're looking at all the angles. So in this particular case, they look at income in the financial situation two years prior than when you actually go to school. So maybe something has changed since then. Maybe you've had job loss, different circumstances, disabilities, healthcare events. There's, I think they call them special circumstances. A myriad might, of them. Yeah, that might change some things, which would ultimately impact your, your aid. I like the way you describe that. Negotiate is always negotiable. I mean, how do we do that? What is it? Well, if I was told, here's my bill, my circumstances have changed, I need to go and let somebody know that. And that's what we're talking about here. Because the differences in aid can be dollar for dollar. And it can be massive for what one family gets, let alone if you have multiple children in school. So as we continue on here, we go back to that scandal and think about that. I mean, I think one of them just got out of jail, Tad, six months. You're a parent. You've got a, multiple children now? Yeah. Two. Multiple mm -hmm. children? Can you believe it? Are, are you already saving away for your scandal, for your for your <laughs> consultants, or are you funding a 5.9? I'm more in the negotiation phase. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm crying in your business there, but <laughs> I, I like what you're up to. Well, as we continue on tonight... We'll talk a little bit more about this, but the exciting future that we want to talk about as well is financial technology. 
and there have been a lot of advancements over the last 50 years in all kinds of things that affect all of our lives in many different ways. And what we'll talk about are some of those changes, but then also what may be changing over the next 50 years that we should probably keep on our radar. So pretty important stuff. So, Tab, when you hear the word future, do you get excited or do you get scared? Oh, you know it. A lot of excitement about the future. Excellent. Jared? I'd say excitement, too. It seems like the possibilities are truly endless. Okay. I get a little scared. Is that Steve Jobs in the in the room? Yeah, I think I, <laughs> some, someone's stealing a quote there. I, he's not wearing a turtleneck, though. Uh, but, no, you're right. The possibilities are endless. I get a little nervous with a some of this big technology stuff that's out there. But as we continue on, we want to talk about what are some of the tools available to you? What are some of the things you can do to manage big tech? Because security, privacy, those are big parts of your life. And when we think about this financial stuff, it's so important that you're able to keep that private. So we're coming up on a break here, but when we come back, we'll go through that in a little bit more. If you want to get a hold of us and have a consultation and talk your plan, Give us a call at our office at 614-326-3077. We'll have you fill out a complimentary questionnaire. We'll sit with you, review, see if we could be of help, quote a fee for you, and then see if we might work together. So as we come back from the break here, we'll continue on with financial technology and this exciting future ahead of us. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Greetings, hello, and welcome. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. I'm your host tonight in studio, Tony Payne. Sitting in studio with me are Tad Harrington and Jared Locke. Tad Harrington, fellow certified financial planner. We're catching up tonight talking about the future of financial technology. But first, before we go through the future, we got to go through the past. Take that trip down memory lane a little bit. Tad, we were doing a little research here, and, well, some may not know. Stocks, investments, they used to trade in fractions, not decimals. Can you tell us a little bit about that? A, a trip down memory lane, if you will. Well, it's the original Wall Street, not Wall Street 2. Okay. Probably yeah, a difference in those. Yeah, different but, uh, eras. But yeah, when you would see the, the Wall Street movie and have the ticker tape, everything would be in a fraction, and they have since done away with that. That was actually in 2001, so we're coming up on the 20-year anniversary of that. But they changed it instead of a everything was in a 116th of um of a dollar or is that right yeah you've yeah. got it yeah 16th yeah. eighth fifth. Yeah. oh yeah we were and so we're that's cooking. how they would you had to do a little math back then. yeah a little bit harder but um then they switched over to a decimal so that gives you more flexibility and i guess would give you more of a, a tighter or a better more precise number on the actual stock oh yeah the, those in the business there would say the spread got tighter and what they mean by that is truly they were squeezing more pennies out of what was already there. I mean, fractions of a penny, but that conversion, when you looked at the math, one sixteenth, or compare that to what you can do with decimalization, now you could get even more precise on the spreads. Add computers into this, and we're just cleaning, not we, but the industry, Wall Street, cleaned up a little bit here. Tad, who... who prompted this change uh, this must have been the bankers the hedge fund group who, well, ma who made this change happen when we started this conversation i would think that it's just 
you know, some government agency for the better of the people is making this change, but now understanding how the, the spreads change and how there's flexibility, which might lead to more profits, I would say some lobbyist firm for some of the banks. <laughs> some lobbyist firm did get in the SEC's ear, perhaps. I mean, for many different reasons. Again, I think it's easier to do the math, too, and that was part of it. But the SEC prompted this. They told the exchanges, you need to convert by April 9th, 2001, you're converting from fractions to decimals. Again, it's just a simple thing, but to realize that and think about fractional trading and these sorts of things that have come about may not have been possible here. This was one of the first waves of that. Tad, I see you looking away there. What are you thinking? Oh, the name escapes me. What's the popular movie where they fix the pennies, they round up or round down? And oh, they... Superman. I know Superman 3 is one of them. No, it's, uh, I don't know. We'll right, come back enough. to that. We'll yeah. come back. But, yeah, no, again, these fractions of cents matter when you're doing trades all the time, when the trades are of large amounts, especially when there's multiple trades per day. So this was something that, yeah, we it's an afterthought now. It's so easy to forget about. But taking that trip down memory lane, that's something that changed. What are some of the other things? Again, if we go a little further back, Jared, when when you're thinking about some of the original things from the 50s on, what were some of the first changes? Yeah, uh, one of the first ones I know uh, is the introduction of the credit card, making so that people didn't have to rely on having cash in their wallet as much. And now I look at it today, I don't think I have a single paper dollar in my wallet. It's all debit cards and credit cards, and that, that started back about 70 years ago now. All right, well, we'll talk about that after the show. That might be another matter, but we'll, we'll – because uh, <laughs> we always like a little paper money. But the point, though, is – I mean, you've, you said it, though. You've lived in an era where it doesn't even seem important. Mm-hmm. I've got my cards. I've got my Apple Watch. I've got my, you know, Apple Pay linked. Right. What do I need with cash? Tad, when that, you know, I, you weren't around then, but when, when did you get your first credit card? Uh, pro- probably in high school. Okay. I think it was in high school. Um, so when, when I would get, um, or like if we had an allowance, it was easy for the family to move transactions between each other. So that was an easier method to do it. But it does surprise me that this started in the 50s. I would have thought it was much later. And we know the names Diners Club, Carte Blanche, American Express. Those were the original original card issuers out there. There, Some are still around today. But the idea was ease the burden of carrying cash, more mobile people spending money all over the place. That's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And then be able to move on. What was the next big advancement, Jared? Uh, it looks like the uh, world's first ATM opened in 1967. I can't imagine a world without ATMs. Uh, having to go into the bank to get uh, money out every single time just seems like that's taking up time of every day. You save so much time going to the ATM at this point, and now you don't even have to. See, I think that's situational because I can definitely see a world without ATMs. Like I can't remember the last time I've used an ATM. Really? Yeah. Well, and that may be the the rise and fall of a technology within a generation or mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of the ATM comes out, they put one on every corner, they design buildings around them. Now, eh, maybe you need one, maybe you don't, maybe it's the most important thing or not, just like phone booths. Mm-hmm. But the idea of not investing, not overcommitting, not every new technology will always be the greatest thing forever, things are cyclical. That's what we're seeing here, too. So, as, again, we're just walking down here. What else changed over the years, Tad? Uh, in the 70s, we started to have uh, electronic stock trading. What did that mean? So now you could submit 
trades electronically. You wouldn't actually have to have somebody on the on the trading floor submit them, which I would say opened up the floodgates yeah. a little bit. Yeah, more efficiency, yeah. less spread, more efficient. I mean, again, you can see going back through time here where things have gotten better. I mean, we talk about for the average investor, how have things changed? There's a lot more transparency. There's a lot more access to information. It's not permanent. It's not perfect. But there seems to be more than where there was originally. I mean, here, we, again, we can't even necessarily think of fintech before the 50s. I mean, there's examples, but when we try to compare them to where we're at now, it just doesn't translate so well. Yeah, so, there's yeah. definitely risks that come with this, and we'll, we will address those. But it's just understanding the new landscape and managing that. Yeah, exactly. And then we're getting up to the 80s here to end our trip down memory lane. But the idea of computerization, the more you had computers, the smaller they got, the more you put a computer everywhere. I mean, the idea of doing stock trading over the computer, that didn't really come on more till the 90s. But even being able to place trades over the phone, I mean, that was a novelty. Being able to pick up the phone, call, place an order, that was a big deal at one point. So when you think about how much this has changed for the modern investor, some of the rules have not changed. And I know we'll come back to that later on too, but that's a big thing as we think about this. And, yeah, and taking those the trading aspect of this a, a little bit further, I think we've seen that big time in the past year, which is now we have these mobile apps that will allow us to make trades by ourselves without a broker, without having to call up you know, your guy to submit those. And it's more or less instantaneous. And we've seen how that can take hold of the masses and, and drive prices and whatnot as well. You make me think of that favorite word I've heard a lot, gamify. Yeah. I mean, the more you gamify things, people just keep taking away from the actual dollar, that paper bill in their hand that means something, and then they become bubbles on a candy crush or something like that. So we're coming up on another break here, but these are some of the things we wanted to go through first was what's changed? Where have we come from? Then as we think about the landscape upcoming, what's available, what should you do? That's where we'll come to next. So as we answer these questions and more, if there is something else on your mind we haven't talked about, feel free to email us at contact us at managingtobewealthy.com. That way we can give you an answer to any questions. Some of our best topics have come from our listeners here. So as we come back from the break, we hope you're listening and enjoying that. And if you're not, come back anyway. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. Hello and welcome back. You're listening to Managing to be Wealthy. I'm your host in studio tonight, Tony Payne. In studio with me are Tad Harrington and Jared Locke. Tad, as we sit here and go through the history of financial changes and technology changes, were there any big ones that stood out to you after that last segment? With the, ch with the financial changes? Yeah. Yeah, any um, big ones. If you were to pick one. I still think it's the ability to make trades on your phone instantaneously. I mean, yeah. it, well, it says instantaneous, but we know it takes a couple of days. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, I think that that's yeah, no. very powerful for, like, the masses to take hold of and to have a major impact on things. You mean I could be out on the fishing boat and just sitting there in the middle of nowhere and see a little something happens and then react, whether good or bad, 
but be able to react. Whereas years ago, if you went overseas or you were out at sea, there was no ability to be plugged in then. I mean, we think about some other examples throughout history where people were just unavailable. If they would have gotten the news, the course of history would have changed. We have the news in our hip pocket at all times, it feels like. I mean, when we talk about that speed of data, Tad, and being able to react good or bad to it and being able to trade on it, that one makes a lot of sense to me. That's a really good point because there's just more people that have access to this, obviously, but then it's also, I I can, you almost feel like, like if we go back 20, 30 years, you read the Wall Street Journal, you get an idea, like, well, it's too late, right? Like the information's already out there, the profits have already been made, and I feel like now we can tell ourselves that, we're, we are so far ahead of this, or it's all simultaneous that we can be a part of this, you know, yeah. the group that's actually making the profit, you know, get in early. Meanwhile, three million other people exactly. got the same article to pop yeah. up on their Facebook that morning. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you have the factor now of, like, I'm a big proponent of when you make a big decision or a big purchase, sleep on it at least a day, maybe three, the 72-hour rule until you make a big purchase. And this is the same way where now we don't even allow people to, to have that. We're like, I can call my broker, make the trade, all right, I'll get to it. But now it's like, I can just do it. And then once you do it, it's done. Yeah, it's speed like is time. not always a good thing. Yeah. Not always. Sometimes we like deliberation or to be deliberate. So, Jared, any, I mean, again, as we talk through here, anything you took away from that list that was major? Uh, really, the to just harp back on the credit card, I think it's crazy how accessible money is. It's sometimes dangerously, as, as we talked about on the show, but it, it is nice, it is convenient. And it really does keep your wallet from getting too fat in your pocket as well. So <laughs> it, is, it is convenient. All right. All right. Your osteo doctor is probably pretty happy there. You're right. <laughs> but no, the idea, too, of it is real and it's not just a piece of plastic. It's not just numbers on paper, but to be able to translate, this is what I got paid for the week. This is what my bills are. Like you said, it's very nice, convenient, good for tracking, security, a lot of things. But deep down, we have to remember it's still real money, yeah. cold, hard cash. Yeah, I don't I don't mean to always take like a, a bad side of these things because there's a lot of good, like you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's maybe it's better that more people can buy a stock when there's information out there. Maybe that make, makes the markets more efficient. Who knows? It's I'm not trying to take one side, but there's yeah. a lot of things to consider with all these. Definitely. And what we were talking about at the end of last segment was the regulations. You know, the rule makers, certainly influenced by lobbies out there and different lobbyists at times. But at the end of the day, we have seen regulation is always catching up. It's never ahead of things. I mean, I'm looking at a list now of the SEC spotlight items. I mean, they've got initial coin offerings. How much research do you think even the biggest top levels of government have done on initial coin offerings? I mean, we're talking about the rule makers. Not the people who are out there issuing the coins or trying to sell them or market them, but even the people making the rules don't understand these. And that's my opinion, but again, just because it's such a new thing. And a lot of people don't. I mean, I don't want to say no no fault to them Mm -hmm. for not understanding. It's like with the social media. We've had a lot of, now it's, you know, social media came through. We had the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams. And then now there's, okay, should there be regulation on this? How do you regulate it? And there's a lot of controversy around that. And that's because it, it, regulation has to play catch up. But these, when you have a new idea, you can run with it and you can beat the regulators and you can go. And if it's big enough, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
you know, it's harder to regulate that once they get so big. Right. No. And and that's where we're at, too. I mean, this other some of the other things that we're looking out for are even the robo advisors out there. I mean, that is a big part of financial technology, whether it's a TurboTax, which may be a simplistic example of how to help you with your taxes or some of the other ones that are out there that may help you make investment decisions. I mean, there's a lot of things going on there that you might be entrusting to a programmer. Yes, Ted. You know how uh, they track cookies online. So depending on your search history and just the nature of our business, my social media feed is just littered with, uh, it seems like every day there's a new robo-advisor or a new technology platform related to investing or savings or insurance with your money. And it's just crazy to think of how many new things are coming out. And it's wondering, what's the barrier to entry for this, right? Like, do I need to pass certain tests or go through any regulatory <laughs> things to do this, or are they just coming out? Right, right. Where, where did you go to school for? Where, <laughs> the school hadn't even created the class yet. And you're out there writing your paper on, here's how I should be investing. That Again, this is where we want to just advise people to do your homework. I mean, some of the stuff that sounds new and very exciting may be the idea of crowdfunding things even. And that's fairly newer. It used to be if you were going to get involved in a private placement, you had to be an accredited investor, i.e. you had to be very liquid, have the money to lose in the opinion of government. And there's a balancing act there, certainly. But what's happened lately is there's a lot more access to private illiquid deals that people are seeing through crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on that, Ted? Yeah, I mean, you see those pop up all the time, too. And it's just... Uh... It makes you think that the, when we had the accredited investors, there's a reason why. You know, a lot of these deals can be something that are just maybe a little bit higher risk than what I don't know. I don't want the average investor the should take. Yeah, yeah the risk profile. You know? So the they're they're higher, risk. and it, you have to be able to understand not only understand the risk, but be able to accept it and truly be able to accept it. So when they say you're an accredited investor, that means that you have the means, whether it's an income or an asset amount that you can withstand a loss from one of these funds or assets. Right. Uh, Jared, were you going to add anything there? Yeah, I just think that uh, looking back to even, I remember in high school, I used to go on to Kickstarter a lot, and yeah. I would just, I would try to find things that interested me. I never really gave any money towards it, but it was, you were giving money to this. I could do it as a high schooler. Uh, they were promising a product for X amount of dollars that I gave to them. And sometimes these companies just fall apart and those products are never given. And it, it's almost too accessible at that point. I have a friend who's still waiting on his cooler. I won't, <laughs> I won't mention any more, but uh, you're exactly right there. And, and that's what we see, though. I mean, when we see a rising market and a lot of liquidity in the system, there's a lot more opportunities for some of these other things to come out. Seem so interesting, seem like the be next best thing. But it's when things dry up a little bit when markets contract, when that money that we talk about that's so seemingly accessible nowadays, when that dries up a little, some of these things may dry up as well, and we want to make sure that you're ready. Mm -hmm. And if you really are ready, great. I mean, this may be great opportunities, but if you're not, these are things to be very mindful of. Financial technology can be exciting. It can be scary. I think, Tad, you and I were both on those sides. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with the with all this technology, it, you're seeing it all the time. So it's, you, you know what you're from. People are, I think people are starting to open up about this because it's almost like things are good right now. So there's a lot of bragging going on. Hey, you know, I always hear that, hey, my buddy did this and he got, he made X amount of money off this. But at the end of the day, like, it, did they tell you about the losses as well? They probably didn't, right? We're only going to talk about the good. Yeah. 
You <laughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> you mean my uh, country club talk doesn't come with statements and full disclosures? <laughs> you mean that water cooler talk just doesn't always translate to reality? But that, I mean, Tad, that's such an important point you're yeah. making, though. It's easy to brag about the winners or here's this percent return we got or something like that. But at the end of the day, you've got to do the due diligence, the homework to say, is this real? Is this the total return? Is this something that I should be in? That's pretty important. So we're coming up on a break here. As we come back, we'll continue on this theme of financial technology and more. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with Tony Payne in studio, Tad Harrington and Jared Locke. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy with fee-only financial planners of Johnny, Sestina, and Company. If you're looking for the latest stock tip or how to time the market, you've come to the wrong place. If you want help navigating all the moving pieces of what makes a financial plan successful, tune in and take notes. Greetings, hello, and welcome back. You're listening to Managing to Be Wealthy on News Radio 610 WTVN. If you've missed some of the segments tonight, we can be found on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Managing to Be Wealthy in there. You'll be able to pick up where we left off. Tonight, we're going through talking about financial technology, some of the changes that are coming, some of the changes that have happened over the years. So we were talking about regulations, some of that good stuff in the last segment. But, Tab, we said that security was coming, that security was one of the changes that may be on the horizon. Uh, what do you see there? What, what do we think might change? Well, security is a big issue now because everything is mobile and online and out there, so to speak. So there naturally has to be a secure way to make sure make sure everything stays safe. So we're just seeing a lot of development there. I think it started with you know, the passcodes, um, longer, harder to, to guess passwords. And then now we're starting to see biometrics such as like your fingerprint, your face ID. And I think, isn't Amazon coming out with a palm reader? Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. You scan your palm. There you go. We're yeah. good to go. Which, like you said, I mean, deep down, a password could be pretty long, could be guessed. Password's just that, a key. If you put the key in the wrong place, somebody else could grab the key. Biometrics, pretty scary stuff to me, but the idea of the security experts is you can't replace that. Um, I might argue I've seen a couple sci-fi movies where you could, but, <laughs> you know, for now, you you supposedly can't. But the idea of replacing a password with even a thumbprint or an iris scan or a palm print. I mean, these are the kinds of things that more and more we may be able to secure our identity, but then if someone somehow cracks it, they've got our whole identity. Sure. I mean, think about identity theft when it's your DNA or your hair. I mean, that's not to be too scary here, but that's what's coming. So as we prepare and think about the future here, you've got to be thinking, how do I secure my identity? How do I secure my passwords? And I don't know if I'm naive by thinking this way, but yeah, I admit, I think of the sci-fi movie, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, what could happen? Yeah, somebody technically could do this, but like, who out there is going to do something like that to me? But as soon as you start thinking like that, they'll find a way. They'll find a way to take a picture of something and replicate it, and it'll happen, and it won't be as sci-fi as you once thought it was. Now, we're talking sci-fi, but Tad, I'm, I'm just who wants to reach me about my extended warranty so bad? <laughs> I mean, if they would just stop calling about that, but somebody figured out a scam, figured out a way to make a little money, here we are, and that's what we may see with some of this stuff. So again, we want you to be aware these are some of the changes coming. So as you have other password updates and changes along the way, this is partly why. The passwords can be cracked. They're trying to individualize things, but it should always be up to you 
how you secure your personal life. Uh, next up on the list of changes, open banking. What, what is that concept even, Jared? Uh, so the, the concept of open banking is that banks themselves are being a little less closed off when it comes to the data that you share with them. Uh, this is kind of what the introduction of financial technology companies going in, having services that kind of help with uh, money management, things like of the sorts, and you being able to make your data available to those banks and to be shared between banks uh, or, techno or uh, different companies uh, to make it a little bit easier on you uh, to help manage your money in a few different ways. I'm really a pessimist now. I'm getting old. I'm sitting here just imagining the banker who's looking at someone's credit card history, then looking at their bank balance or they're a little behind on their mortgage. Banker decides to move a little money around for them. It gets a little scary when you start tearing down some of these walls, but that's what's coming. And the idea of just open source banking, and sometimes it's not even banks doing it. Go ahead. Yeah, Ted. My favorite subreddit is Data is Beautiful. So I'm on the other end. <laughs> that says you. a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I love the idea of this if you have the right walls built, the right protections. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's just such a fine line of where it goes haywire. But I, I think, yeah, if somebody wants to take all my data and they want to tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and help me improve, then I'm all for it. But I have to be certain that the risk isn't too high in that. I mean, just think of the big technology players out there do I really want, and again, I'm being honest with myself, do I really want the Google, Amazon, Facebooks of the world to give me a mortgage? Mm. I don't know. But that's where they're heading with this open, uh, basically open banking stuff. I mean, we see it the first wave of just have a store credit card. And then the store had your credit card. They could target what you bought. They were able to say, oh, we got a little marketing info here. We'll give a little rebate, maybe a tote, and then we'll use this corporate card for our purposes not really helping you, and that's what we see here in a different direction. Yeah, uh, Target, actually, I, I don't know if they pioneered it, but they were definitely on the front lines of that where Target was tracking what people, they gave them the card, they could track what they bought, and then they could predict what was going on. And the reason this all came out, and you can look it up, is that they ended up sending um, like diapers and formula coupons to a woman that didn't even know she was pregnant yet, but she was pregnant, like based on the food she was buying and things like that. And they were able to predict that. And so that, like I said, kind of scary, but kind of cool yeah. at the same time. <laughs> yeah, we let in with it, though. The future could be scary. It could be exciting. Hopefully, we're trying to make it both. But the idea of the more we know, the more we might be able to guide it for ourselves. I mean, we can't control the bigger world sometimes, but we can at least control what we're exposed to. That's a big deal. I mean, even something like logging in and regularly viewing your credit report. I mean, it's not something we've talked about today but all of this, this idea of interconnectedness and your value is beyond just your thumbprint, at least to some of these banks, it's all about your credit history. So to know what that is and to be able to view it regularly, it's pretty important. Yeah, and there's ways that you can keep an eye on this stuff. There's no foolproof strategy, but if you just, you know, monitoring goes a long way to all of this. So, um, like, I noticed that one time I... I use an app that tracks. Um, I, I take it for what it is. It, I know that the credit score is not that great, but it tells me when new accounts have been opened or when there's been credit checks. And when I, I think it was buying a car and there was like three pools on it. And so I was able to go back to the dealership and say, hey, what's going on? And they confirmed that we made an error. So we had to pull it a couple of times, <laughs> which wasn't good because it, it 
pushed it down a little bit, but I was able to confirm that it was them, that was the source, and there's not some rogue tad out there trying to pull my credit. Yeah, which is super important. I mean, again, we've all been there. When you get in that 1-800 customer service loop, it is horrendous. I mean, to have to tell the same story four or five times over, then have someone hopefully call you back. Maybe the call gets dropped and you have to go all through the loop all over again. The more you can proactively protect your identity, your security, know what accounts are yours, that's what helps is all this financial stuff gets more and more digitized. We can't duck our heads in the sand. We've got to do something about it. And these are some of the steps we can take. We know there's different programs, services you can pay for, but deep down it's you being aware of what's out there, doing basically your homework, being your own advocate here, and that's what we're hoping to do with the show. So one of the other things that we know is coming down the pipeline here is more cryptocurrency adaptation, actually using it. Tad, have you spent any crypto yet? I would have to buy it first. <laughs> okay, all right. Jared? I uh, haven't spent any. It's been a while since I even owned any, probably three or four years now at this point. All right. Well, I admit I bought a pretty expensive pizza now in hindsight, maybe a year ago. Oh, man. But that was what I did. Again, we got to experiment. We got to get our feet that's wet, my, too. That's get my a question experience. on this is when do these start being actually used as a currency? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or is it a store of value? Is it an investment? Mm -hmm. What is it? Again, that's what we're figuring out. So before anyone says this is the future, that's why we try to give some of those examples of what we've seen change and up and down through our lifetimes here and beyond. So today we've gone through that. We'll go through a little more next week perhaps, but the idea is you need to be aware of what's changing in the world. That way you have more control. You've been listening to Managing to Be Wealthy tonight with Tony Payne, Tad Harrington, and Jared Locke. We hope you have a wonderful evening.